It's a common in way to get infected is that old hunting bug bites you and sometimes you're incurable. And yeah. I love it that way. I always told people they are made for bow hunters. Yeah. Spot and stock. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. You know, you can sit in the willows at the edge of a river and shoot them when they swim across and step out on the sand. But I love stalking them on the tundra. It's, it's pretty open, but you can always find rocks or brush or whatever to cover. Uh, climbing stand industry has come up with so much better safety stands that uh, chances of falling are still there, but nothing like uh, back in the first days. I was sitting in the house and it was still broad daylight, sun hadn't gone down or anything, and all went bang, 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 bang on the back door, and I'm thinking, what the heck? And I went back and there was Cody, and he said, I just shot a buck. And I said, well, great, let me get my... Uh, gear on and then we'll go track it and he said no 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 he said it walked about 20 yards and fell over dead it's laying out there he was just grinning ear to ear we went out it was a nice nine point buck and a big bodied deer he had got a lot of meat on it but he had killed his first deer and his first buck here on the farm welcome to days in the wild big game hunting podcast i'm going into my 15th year of podcasting can't believe it's been that long I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt. So now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is, is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it, but we're gonna make it even sexier for you because if you come to Halfa Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to go hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Halfa Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Halfa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your 
portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it and uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, go hunt jumped on board with us and um, it's a great way to support alpha wildlife it's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use i use go hunt insider all the time i've been a member for a very long time and it's how i get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there and now you're getting extra stuff with it so it's a great great system so go check it out become a member today and uh let's roll into this next episode thanks hi welcome to days in the wild big game hunting podcast brought to you by phoenix shooting bags today uh we're gonna talk to um uh, you know what the best word to describe you you're basically a legend you know you're uh, you're a hall of famer an archery hall of famer uh it's mr james how's it going just fine, John. Oh, glad to have you on. Just uh, before we kind of get get into it here, let's let's a little get a little rundown about you and uh, hear how Mr. became Mr. James in <laughs> in the hunting industry. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I started writing and selling fiction stories, mostly westerns and murder mysteries, to the pulp fiction market back in the 60s and early 70s. I've got a vivid imagination. I love to read. My mom read to me as a kid, and that kind of hooked me on on reading. And I started writing stories, in fact, uh, to show one example of my vivid imagination. In the second grade, the teacher wanted us to write a story involving all the kids in our class. So I pretended that they were soldiers in Custer's cavalry and told how they each one got killed at the little bighorn. Cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> they, uh, she looked at me uh, a little askance after that. That, <laughs> that just shows uh, one example of how I think sometimes. So you've lived kind of a storied career in the hunting I'm doing my air quotes now, uh, hunting industry. Well, yeah. You started Bowhunter Magazine, didn't you? Or you were one of the founders? Well, I started uh, bow hunting in 1961, hunted in Indiana. There weren't any deer to speak of around. I hunted the first two years, 61, 62, and saw a grand total of one doe. Jesus. And this is in prime whitetail country now. Back then, uh, they were really few and far between. If we found tracks, we were thrilled. I bet. And uh, you are what? You were born in Illinois, and then you, as an adult, you moved to Indiana, correct? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I had trouble making out that last bit. I was born and raised in Illinois when my wife and I got married in 1960. We moved to Indiana, and that's where we raised our family. <clears throat> that's where I started Bowhunter Magazine in 1971. And that's uh, where we've lived the rest of our married life, except for 16 wonderful years when we lived in the Flathead Valley in uh, uh, northwestern Montana. Oh, nice. That's a different change right there from Montana to Indiana, Indiana to Montana. 
Yeah, yeah. My son, Dave, uh, went to the University of Missoula and graduated, married a girl from Whitefish and told us he wasn't coming home. He's the only other bow hunter in the family. I've got uh, had uh, two other sons and a daughter, none of whom hunted. And Dave, uh, living in Montana, was natural for me to kind of uh, first go out and hunt with him and then gravitate to the state for a while. Uh, when I sold the magazine business in, in 88, I continued to run the magazine, but I told the new owners that uh, if I were going to continue as editor, I was going to live wherever I wanted to. I would do my job, get everything done, but uh, not to call me during uh, business hours. I was probably in the woods, and they just missed my call. <laughs> and they they agreed, believe it or not, and it worked out well, and those 16 years are especially memorable. And the only reason we moved back to Hoosierland, uh, six of our eight grandkids live in Indiana. I lost both my parents uh, when we lived in Montana. Mm. And uh, Janet lost uh, her dad shortly after we came back to Indiana. And her mom lived to be almost 96 or 7, if I remember right. And uh, then she passed away. So uh, we still are here for the family. In fact, we had a reunion uh, last weekend where Dave and his wife came from Montana. Our, our other grandkids uh, showed up and uh, some of their friends even came down to the farm and we had a ball. Awesome. And um, you're how, how old are you? You're 80, 80 something years old, right? I'm 81. I'll be 82 December 6th. Are you still bow hunting? Last two years, uh, here on the farm, I've killed two of the biggest bucks I've See, ever taken awesome. on the farm here. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I shot one with a uh, friend's recurve bow that uh, after he passed away, is, this was uh, Dr. Chuck Williams from Kalispell, Montana, great friend, a good bow hunter, friend of mine, uh, also a senior member of the Pope and Young Club. When he passed away, the family gave me his bow and said, that Chuck would want you to shoot a deer with it. Would you do that? And uh, I killed a uh, real nice uh, eight-point buck uh, not 200 yards from the house here where, uh, where we live now. I think I, I think I might have seen that photo. It's a big wide buck. Yeah. Right? Yes. Uh, white, white, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and then last year I shot a, a real nice, another real nice uh, eight pointer, uh, big bodied, weighed close to three hundred pounds, and uh, I was having shoulder issues, and I shot him with my compound, but I shot that one buck. It was called uh, the story was called One Last Hunt with Doctor Chuck, and so I'm still uh, still going strong. I figure, heck, if I can do this at eighty, I can't wait till I see what I can do at ninety. Right, exactly. Now, see, that's <laughs> it's very. Uh, comforting to me you know i'm 46 so i'm, I'm still a, a fairly young man and oh, yeah. i'm always wondering like you know how much longer can i do this like how much longer can i put my body through what i put it through you know especially the hunting in the well, west. i've got two heroes uh one was uh roy case wisconsin bow hunter he's uh Bow hunting historians say he was the man that coined the term bow hunter. He wrote for E. Sylvan Archer, which was uh, the bow hunter magazine of the 1920s and 30s. Mm -hmm. And he lived to be 98 or 99, if I remember right, and continued to hunt into his early 90s. Uh, 
And Glenn St. Charles, the founder of the Pope and Young Club, is another hero of mine. I became friends with Glenn. Uh, he encouraged me at one point to run for Pope and Young president, which he founded that organization. I did, and I've served 20-some years, 25, 26 years on the board of directors and was president for two terms. So I've had some good advice from some uh, legends of, of bow hunting and uh, have f- followed through as best I could. That's awesome. So if you could, well, you know, let's talk, I want to talk about the, the Hall of Fame. First off, how does one get into the Hall of Fame, Archery Hall of Fame? Like, how does, like, how do, how do you get to a place that you get put into the Hall of Fame? Like, what are, what is you're, the criteria? Uh, not, okay. <laughs> the simplest way to explain it is if uh, you go online to the Archery Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. there's a listing of all the inductees. Uh, the Hall of Fame turned 50 years old this year mm-hmm. and at our latest induction ceremony in Springfield, Missouri. It's uh, It takes place at the Archery Hall of Fame headquarters in, uh, in Bass Pro Shops, a uh, big store there in uh, Springfield. And we have people submit, and online you can find the criteria for nominating people. Mm-hmm. And it it's up to the people to nominate, to get people supporting that nomination, submitting it. And then the board of directors, I've served on the board of directors of the Hall of Fame since uh, since day one. Dave Staples, mm-hmm. the late Dave Staples, uh, founded uh, the Archery Hall of Fame. Uh, I helped from the beginning. Bowhunter Magazine helped from the beginning. And I've not served in an official capacity all that time, but uh, I was inducted in 19, no, 2003, I believe it was. And I was asked to run for the board, and I did, and I've served uh, on the board, including several terms as president. But now I'm been put out to pasture, so to speak, <laughs> in a good sense. And uh, I'm I'm known as President Emeritus, if if that helps. But for full information, I'd encourage you and all the uh, listeners to just go online and check out uh, com, and you can find uh, full information, pictures, the whole nine yards. Cool. Yeah, it's it, it. You know, I've heard of it several times, and I never like really. You know, when you when you don't think you're ever a candidate for it, you don't really think about that stuff too much, you know. But uh, no, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Believe me. So, yeah, I uh, that would be a that would be some feat to be nominated into that. I would, you know, that would be a uh, lifetime achievement for me. I think. Um, oh yeah, it is for anyone. Believe me. Yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit and, and listen to a few of your stories and see if we can't pull out some sure. little tidbits of, uh, of knowledge out of them. And sure. So, so if you got a good story you want to share with us that uh, maybe had a teaching moment or time where you learned something about hunting and it kind of changed the way you hunt today. or Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a couple of ideas here. I'll, I'll toss at you and you'll see what you think. The uh, first year I shot here in Indiana was on the uh, last day of the 1963 uh, hunting season. Uh, 
gun hunters and deer hunter or bow hunters uh, were in the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. I uh, had learned to shoot a bow as a kid. I got involved with the Indiana Bow Hunters uh, organization. Uh, there was a local club in uh, Princeton, Indiana, where I was sports editor of the newspaper at that time. And uh, got to shoot tournaments in FAA field archery for years. And I always loved shooting a bow, and that's probably a good thing since mm-hmm. uh, it became my life's work. And the time that uh, in 63, as I think I mentioned earlier, 61, 62, I saw one deer. I was shooting a Colt Huntsman. That's a company that makes Colt firearms. Colt Huntsman recurve, wooden arrows, cedar arrows with uh, bear razor heads. Uh, Fred Bear introduced the bear razor head, and I think it was 57. Anyway, uh, you can picture this as a novice hunter. I was dressed in blue jeans, wool plaid shirt, a blaze orange hat, which was, uh, I think, a requirement for anyone in the woods. And... I cut class. I was in college at the time, and I cut class Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon, whatever day the last day was on, and went out to this hot spot, which is in Warwick County, Indiana. There were a bunch of old stripper pit, strip mine pits, which were overgrown, and there were deer there. Mm-hmm. You just didn't get to see them very often. But uh, I went down there the last day, last afternoon, parked my car, went out. I was going to go to an oak tree at the hunt uh but when i started down there i saw another hunter and and so i went in a different direction and i was glad i did because uh i was walking along and i bumped a herd (laughs) i call it a herd Mm -hmm. there were four or five deer went flagging away from me and i was so excited i said i'm gonna follow them and maybe i'll see them again even if i can't get a shot so i just started trailing and i'm walking along and i finally dropped down into this dry creek bed where it's quiet walking. It was sandy and real quiet. I was walking along, and all at once I hear something in the brush up ahead of me. I hear a stick break, and I'm, I stop, and I look, and a doe steps into this small, narrow shooting lane. She's about 30 yards away, and she kind of glances at me and just walks on. And on her heels, this buck steps up, and he turns and looks at me, and I'm about <laughs> dropped my bow. I mean, holy smokes, it was the biggest buck I'd ever seen in Indiana. And he took one look at me and looked after the doe and started after her again. So I just moved ahead as quietly as I could. And he was grunting and following her. Had one thing on his mind. (laughs) He stepped into a shooting lane. It was about probably 30 yards at most, probably a little closer. I shot it was just starting to get dark and I stood there waiting. I was afraid I, I heard the arrow hit. I thought, but I didn't, I couldn't see for sure. And so I just wanted to wait and make sure that, uh, he had plenty of time. If I did hit him to, uh, to go down that when I went over, I couldn't find hair. I couldn't find blood. I couldn't find my arrow. Mm-hmm. And by then it was starting to really get dark. So I hurried home, called my friend, uh, Tom McKinney, bass fisherman, friend of mine, and he, he was also a, did shoot archery. Called him and said, uh, "Tomorrow, 
uh, need you to yeah, come help me. So we were there at first light, found the buck piled up maybe a hundred yards from where I'd shot. Oh, nice. And he was, uh, he was only a six pointer. And I say only because, uh, uh, but he was massive. Mm-hmm. His base circumferences were larger than any buck in the first Pope and Young record book. Uh, they were each base was between six and a half and seven inches around. Wow. And, and he had, just he had good width he had a time length he was an old buck on the decline I'd, I'd love to have seen him in his prime but i did eventually enter him in the pope and young records and he was the first uh six pointer to ever make the uh the records awesome. so that was just pure luck and in fact i wrote a story for archery magazine called beginner's luck and it was published uh a year later and that is what made me convinced that I could be an outdoor writer. And that also led to the founding of Bowhunter magazine. That's awesome. It's a good story. Yeah. My, uh, my first experience was with a rifle. Um, I was like five years old with my dad and, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he held the gun with me and we set it on a fence post and shot this buck. And, um, <laughs> I tell I've told the story on the podcast a million times, but you've never heard it. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I, I don't recommend that because <laughs> because <laughs> the kick of that rifle almost scarred me for life. Like I, I had, you know, I had been shooting, uh, you know, twenty twos and BB guns and whatnot, but never a thirty five right, Marlin, right. you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it, it was uh, quite some time after I wanted to be around the rifle for the, after that, but yeah. I got Make bit. I got shy. bit by the hunting. <laughs> I got bit by the hunting bug pretty quick. So, oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a it's a common in you know way to get infected is that old hunting bug bites you, and sometimes you're incurable. And yeah. I love it that way. Yep, yep. Same here. Yeah, I didn't pick up bow hunting till. I mean, I started shooting a bow pretty young, but actual bow hunting till I was like thirteen or something like that. But. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was no looking back after that one. So, yeah. So if you got a couple more stories, I would love to hear. Well, but I, I travel all around the country giving talks to bow hunting groups. And, uh, one of the questions I commonly get is, you know, what was your most unforgettable hunt? And that was, uh, a Northwest territories caribou hunt in uh, 1993 we were living in Montana at the time, and I took Janet, my wife, our son Dave, who's the other bow hunter in the family, mm-hmm. and his wife Norma, up to the McKay Lake Lodge on McKay Lake, which is about 90 to 100 air miles uh, north and a little west of uh, Yellowknife. And I'd hunted caribou up there for a couple of years and had always had good luck. The season opens in the middle of August. And I can go up there and hunt caribou before I start concentrating on uh, deer and elk uh, here in the States. So I took the family up. We flew in, went out the first day, uh, took a boat across the lake uh, to to, uh, this area that I'd hunted before. We went inland walking. I had two guides, uh, one for Dave, one for me. Inuit guides, uh, native Indians. Uh, one was 
Ray, that was my guide, and Leon was uh, Dave's guide. Anyway, we're eating lunch on a hill. The bugs were pretty bad, and we got up on this windy hill where the black flies uh, weren't weren't really horrible. Mm-hmm. And we're eating lunch, and I saw this bull running across the tundra. Uh, the bugs were really bothering him. He'd run and stick his head in a bush and run and stick his head in another bush. And finally, he came running up, and we were in a boulder field there, and stalking was really easy. And he, was, he wasn't he was a monster bull, but he was a nice bull. And I saw him coming. I said, I'm going to see if I can get close enough to shoot. And I did. Put him down. Uh, Ray and I skinned him out, and we had to pack the meat back to the boat, uh, which was about three miles away over that tundra and that's always fun to walk on if you've ever done it i have not so we uh, took off (laughs) put that on your your wish list oh i did it's Uh, on there i just keep getting some oh okay yeah okay you know what i'm talking about i definitely want to do it caribou is like and hunting on the tundra tundra caribou is definitely a must for me um i just haven't had the opportunity to go yet and now that now it's so much harder i should have did it when i when you could get a caribou for like twenty five hundred dollars you could go shoot two of them and you know now it's like oh i always i always told people uh they are made for bow hunters spot and stock i mean it is it's amazing You, you know you can sit in the willows at the edge of a river and shoot them when they swim across and step out on the sand. But I love stalking them on the tundra. It's it's pretty open, but you can always find rocks or brush or whatever to cover. Mm-hmm. But when I was when when Ray and I walked back to the boat, and this is the crux of the story. Dave stalked and shot. He killed a bigger bull than I did. And Leon, his guide, was skinning it when we got back. And we were standing around watching, and Leon, of course, those guides can skin a caribou in no time at all. But he was skinning along the leg and down near the knee joint. He, the, the blade snagged, and when he pulled it free, he stabbed himself in the, just oh, the upper thigh, just below the groin. Wow. And he was wearing white pater pants, and when he stood up, they were already soaked down to the knee, and each time his heart beat, it was shooting out a stream of blood oh, about six Christ. inches long. And I knew he'd cut the femoral artery. I'd killed a bull in New Mexico the week or the year before, and uh, he didn't make it a hundred yards. And here's a you know seven eight hundred pound animal. Mm-hmm. And Leon was a big husky kid. So anyway, we finally I got a tourniquet around his there was just enough room to get the tourniquet around his upper thigh at his groin and got the blood flow stopped but here we are a couple three miles from the boat Mm -hmm. uh, another two or three miles from camp and 90 air miles from the nearest hospital yeah and i just didn't see any hope and we tried to reassure leon that uh, we'd do our best we got on the radio and called uh, camp and explained what happened. By chance, a float plane had just dropped off goods, canned goods, food at the, at the camp, and they were oh. headed for another camp, and they heard our SOS and said, we're turning around and coming back. If you can get him to camp. Well, there was no way that Ray and Dave and I could carry Leon across that tundra for three miles. Mm-hmm. And about that time, a miracle happened. We got a call from Kinnikut diamond mining operation which had a 
uh, crew going about, oh, probably less than 100 miles north of us. And they said, we just heard your emergency. We've got a chopper in camp, and if you tell us where you are, we'll come down and we'll get him uh, to your camp in that waiting plane. And as it turned out, uh, eventually, and it seemed like forever, but uh, they sat down on the tundra about uh, 40 yards from where we were. We carried Leon to the plane, got him to, or the chopper got him in the side, strapped him in. Norma, my daughter-in-law, and I flew across with him. Norma uh, watched while she she had some nursing experience. She had first aid training, and anyway, uh, they loaded him into that uh, float plane. And Norma went down to the hospital with him. Flew down while we waited for for news. And I was convinced it wasn't going to be good news, but he survived. Wow. In fact, uh, when we left the territories, we stopped at the hospital and uh, found uh, him in good spirits, uh, good uh, good condition, really, for coming so close to dying. And to, to wrap up the story, a couple of years later, I was at my home in Whitefish and got a call from one of the guys from that hunting camp. Mm-hmm. He was in town. Uh, they were doing some seminars and whatnot. And he uh, called and said he had like to stop by. He wanted to see me. And he handed me a package. It was just a little like a little ring box, uh, probably three inches by three inches square. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is from Leon. He wanted me to give this to you. So I opened it up and it was his uh, master guide badge. And he put a little note in there, say, thanks again. And that's uh, in one of my collections of memorabilia in my man cave downstairs. Uh, but uh, that was unforgettable and obviously <laughs> the most unforgettable hunt I'd ever been on because he came so close to dying. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, my God. That is like one of my biggest, biggest fears, especially about hunting by myself. Because mm-hmm. I am notorious for cutting myself in my on my fingers and whatever, but oh, not, yeah. you know I am notorious oh, yeah. for doing that. My one of yeah. one of the guides that works for me, Shane, he's always making fun of me. He's like, uh, "Are you gonna make sure you're not gonna cut yourself this time?" Because <laughs> I'm always nicking my finger somehow, <laughs> and you know, but I, I'm very conscientious about not running the blade back towards me. Now my hands right. being down there, sometimes I get going too mm-hmm. fast and I cut. So, but it's still like I'm always because you've heard those stories. I I know there was a guy here in Arizona that shot an elk, mm-hmm. and of course they're just surmising this because they don't know he was by himself and he was gutting it, and they found him laying right next to the elk, you know, with yeah. a cut femoral artery. Yep. And yeah, man, that's that's. Gary, like I was kind of getting the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up when you're telling the story. I figured it, and it figured it had a good ending since you were telling it. But oh, I was, yeah. I was yeah. like, you know, man, that's crazy. You know, you, you're looking at it. That guy must have been thinking, it's almost impossible for me to make it to the float plane, and then uh-huh. the fact I got to survive once I get to the float plane. And to the hospital, right. like, and then I'm still not right. even out of the water. You know, it's like, 
But That's it's, right. It's crazy, yeah. I've uh, covered several bow hunting deaths like that. Accidental falls from tree stands, of course, are mm. one of the biggest killers of the bow hunters. Yeah. And that's why we preach uh, never climb without a harness and safety line. It just, uh, I can show you, in fact, a friend of mine, we killed our first elk in Montana while hunting together. Several years later, I got bored from his brother that they'd found him dead at the base of a tree stand. Uh, uh, he had obviously slipped. He had his safety harness on, but it hadn't been attached. And we assume he was either getting in or getting out of his uh, stand when when he fell mm. and broke his neck and was dead. Dang. But it happens, and uh, it's not worth the risk. If you don't want to do it for yourself, you say, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Think about the wife and kids or your relatives and uh, give it a second thought. Yeah. I I definitely wear my my, my uh, harness when I'm up in a tree stand, but I've mm-hmm. never been the guy that sets up the, you know, the life rope to go up and down. And I think that's like the hardest, that's like the worst part is getting in and out and that going up and down is where, right. you know, most of the accidents happen, I think. But right. yeah, I haven't, you know what Just it is? Some- I haven't found a system that wasn't so cumbersome that it like, I feel like, and I'm definitely not advocating for you not to wear it, but, um, or use it, but I haven't found one that doesn't make me feel like I have more chance of falling. Well, oh, really? I'm trying to work it. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe it's just because I, I mean, I'm not much of a tree stand hunter anyway. I go maybe once, once a year, if that. I used sure. to do quite a bit of tree stand hunting and I used to have this system called the fall guy. It was like a seatbelt. And that uh-huh. one like had a retractable deal on it. And like that one was nice. Like, you know, you just clip yeah. on and, you know, it followed you up the tree. And, but uh, I had a couple of t- instances where that thing failed and it would jam up and it didn't like retract as you were going up. And I'm like, okay, well, if I fall, it's going to be, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that this going to be a bad thing. Right. <laughs> so, and then I yeah. just stopped doing it all together. But yeah, I, I need to, I need well, to really personal choice and uh, you, you do what's best uh, for you in your case. But as I said, I've just covered too many deaths. Oh yeah, for middle. sure. I, I've known a couple yeah. of guys that fell out. Actually, the, Two guys that I knew that passed away, no problem. Um, right. They one of them actually fell asleep in the tree and wasn't wearing a harness uh-huh. and just fell forward and killed yep. himself. And the other one, the actual tree stand failed and broke. Oh yeah. And uh, he that's fell. another one. If you are an old timer like me, beware. Maybe you are of the uh, Baker climber stands, which uh, mm-hmm. had a notorious reputation of Is that the one the time sling? you got. If if you if you put it, they it was a climbing stand. It had a bar uh-huh. that you put around your waist, and then you'd push kind of like do push ups, and you'd lift with your feet. You had the straps uh, for your boots and you'd lift the stand and go up a little bit and you'd lift the the climber part and you'd push down on it and lift up and climb the tree but the problem was once you got up if you put any weight toward the back of the stand it was, the stand it, 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 would drop out from under you yeah and yeah and they call that uh, a death trap and there were so many injuries and of course thank god the uh, climbing stand industry has come up with so much better safety 
stands that uh, chances of falling are still there, but nothing like uh, back in the first days. Oh yeah. And I never wore a. I hunted out of trees. I'd climb trees and shoot off limbs, uh, mm-hmm. thick limbs that I stood on. I mean, that was the way I hunted. And I, I, it scares me now to see some of the pictures of me poised on a limb and trying, you know, bullet full draw. And uh, so many things can go wrong. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to lose a little bit of balance and go. I know the first couple of times I hunted out of a tree was just a a piece of wood nailed up in the, you know, you climb up a tree and, and there was a piece of wood yeah. nailed between a fork of a tree, two branches That's or whatever. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First, first stands. Yeah. But Back the in the 80s, reliable that's what that was. was my first. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was pretty hairy back then. Hey, of course, I was, a, I was a kid, kid. You know, I I spent half my days in the damn trees at the time anyway. I was a damn monkey. But, yeah, nowadays I wouldn't do that. <laughs> wouldn't even think about it so yep oh sure uh do you have another good uh story you want to share with us well i'm sure you got uh, plenty of good stories (laughs) oh that's that's the problem yeah i was elk hunting with uh larry jones and uh, dwight shoe in uh the wyoming wilderness when 9-11 happened Mm. and i i didn't we didn't get news for several days afterward, and we came out and find, found flights canceled. And I had driven down from Montana, so I just drive, drove back home. But anyway, all of us will never forget where we were on, on 9-11, and I was hunting elk. And not long, I guess, uh, within a few months after 9-11, I got a call from our Pennsylvania Magazine headquarters. That's where the company that bought Bowhunter had relocated Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I got a call from one of the uh, secretaries there and said that a man had uh, called wanting to talk to me on the phone. He identified himself as a uh, uh, Port Authority police officer and uh, he had been injured when the buildings went down. And he wanted. He was also said he was a bow hunter, avid bow hunter, and he wanted to just talk to me. And of course, I told her to give me the number, and I talked to him. We struck up a friendship. His name was Will Jimeno, and he and Sergeant John McLaughlin, his sergeant, they were one of the five man squad or six man squads that went into the buildings, and uh, they were in a tunnel below uh, one of the towers when when the first tower went down. And they were buried alive in the rubble. It killed all but Sergeant McLaughlin and Will. And they were trapped under steel beams and Mm. boulders. And Will just wanted to talk. He was suffering from PTSD and uh, depression, uh, losing his friends and shock. And he just wanted to talk bow hunting to get his mind off that. And so we became friends. And he... I, I suggested that uh, he might want to tell his story so that people would fully understand what had happened uh, to he and his crew. And he did. And I wrote a piece called From the Rubble Telling. And it, it talked about the whole event from his point of view. And he was finally rescued, uh, I think, 24 hours or so later. Uh, they did get him and Sarge out, but he had suffered 
leg injury. His right leg was really damaged. Uh, he couldn't lift his foot. And loss of blood had caused some nerve damage. And anyway, him being a bow hunter, we did what we could. We in, I invited him uh, to the archery trade show in Indianapolis that following year to speak. And he did. And you know, we passed the hat, just <laughs> kind of unofficial, but we passed the hat and collected thousands of dollars for the wife or the widows and the uh, children of uh, firefighters and policemen killed there in New York. And Will, I invited him on a deer hunt. Call it. He'd never killed a big buck. He lived in New Jersey and hunted around there, but he'd never killed a big buck. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend of mine in Colorado. And he had a ranch near Lamar. And he and another friend of mine from Illinois set it up where we would get he. And he brought his father-in-law out, who's also a bow hunter. And they hunted this ranch and on the first evening we will couldn't climb into a tree stand so we built a hay bale blind at the edge of a field and the first evening out he killed a really really nice buck biggest thing he'd ever seen and later as i say i travel around the country giving talks i was up in uh wilkes pennsylvania and he drove up from new jersey with the mount this was of course a year or so later and I scored it for him and entered it in the record book. That was his first Pope and Young record book book. And as if our friendship didn't blossom enough, he contacted me that Paramount Pictures was wanting to do a movie that uh, Oliver Stone had uh, agreed to direct and they were going to do the story in it. There, you may have seen it. It's a movie called World Trade Center. And mm-hmm. If not, I'd encourage viewers to check it out on, on Prime or on uh, uh, Max or what, whatever it is. That you Netflix or one of those movies. things, yeah. Yeah, John McLaughlin, uh, his sergeant, was uh, played by uh, Nick, Nicholas Cage, mm-hmm. and uh, Will was played by uh, Tony Pena, an actor. I think he's from Chicago. And they had uh, a couple of other well-known actresses uh, as the wives. Anyway, there was a world premiere to be held when the movie was completed. And I told Will, for God's sakes, if they want you to tell your story, you get involved and you be an advisor and you make sure they don't Hollywood it up. Mm-hmm. And he he did. And uh, he called back and he said he, he was really proud of the movie. And when the premiere happened, Paramount Pictures uh, invited me and Janet to fly back and attend the showing. And so we flew back and got to meet the cast and crew. And uh, Will, we spent with uh, Will and spent a whole day with Will and Sarge and their families just having a, a good talk about, you know, the aftermath of, of 9-11 and fact that they were still dealing with their devils that uh, of the mind and eh. but it was very very cathartic and i think for everyone and we'll never forget that or or will's friendship and when as i say later took him on that uh, hunt and he killed that uh, that big buck mm-hmm. that was uh, that was just just 
again, a special memory of mine that we'll never forget. And Will's a special friend. He's been here to our Indiana farm, and uh, he and his wife and kids. Uh, Allison, Will's wife, was pregnant with one of their girls. She's out of college now, if I remember correctly. So life goes on, but uh, that's another very special memory. It doesn't have that much to do with my hunting, but it also tells the story of uh, what I've encountered along the way as, as editor of Bowhunter Magazine. That's awesome. They, they, they didn't put any anything about the bow hunting part of it in that movie, did they? Well, I don't remember. Probably not. Uh, but uh, Will is still an avid bow hunter. He's hooked up with uh, the Mossy Oak crew. In fact, uh, up there in Indianapolis when we passed that, Toxie Hayes, who's head of Mossy Oak, mm-hmm. uh, took Will under his wing and... Uh, I hunted. Uh, I've hunted with Toxie uh, a number of, of times. More friends, and uh, he's taken Will on adventures. He gets him down there with the Mossy Oak people for turkeys every spring and here awesome. in the fall. And it's it just extending a hand of friendship, and that just shows the kind of community bow hunters have. Uh, some really, really good people around. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I've met Toxie a couple of times. He's a really down to earth guy, um, yeah. and I had um, Cuz on my podcast some years ago. I'm after meeting him at ATA. <laughs> uh, he's a hoot. He's a nice guy. Because um, Cuz uh, filmed one of my Texas bow hunts, and uh, he just. He, like you say, he's one of a kind, and he's a special friend, and uh, we've we've been on a number of adventures together. But that that's a first class crew, uh, Toxie and his his gang. Yeah, yeah, uh, without a doubt. A lot of a lot of great memories. They're um, they're some of the most down to earth people that mm-hmm. don't necessarily need to be down to earth that I've met. Uh, in the industry, because I've met a, I've met I've met some others, unfortunately, in, on the other end of the spectrum that thought they were hot shit, so to speak, and oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, and really didn't have a, a real reason to. Um, but they're awesome, awesome guys for sure. Um, well, cool. That's pretty awesome. I think we've been on probably for about forty something minutes. We. If you got more time, you got another short story you want to share with us, we can. Uh, if not, I'll uh, I'll let you get back to your day. Well, as you know, I've always uh, I've always got um, short stories uh, or hunting stories to to share. But um, oh yeah, I've got I've got a good one. When we bought this farm here in Indiana, the uh, there was a man that lived across the road that owned the farm there who was just a tremendous guy neighbor good he was one of the first ones to come over and greet us uh, uh welcome us to the valley here and he had a grandson no a, a, a nephew he had a nephew who was like 12 13 and he was just getting into bow hunting and he didn't know that much about it so he asked if uh the boy's name's Cody. He asked if uh, Cody could uh, stop by our farm and I could give him some tips and help him with his shooting and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. So Cody showed up and he, he's one of these kids that gives you faith that the 
new generation coming up isn't all crazy and idiotic and you know running wild and doing drugs and all that kind of thing. Just a wholesome kid, God-fearing Christian, and uh, uh, helped him get his bow set up and everything. And I talked to his dad and John, the neighbor, and said, uh, if you let him come over and hunt with me, I'll put up a stand for him. And I'll sit with him. Uh, I'll double stand it, and we'll uh, see if we can get a deer. I think I can get him a deer. And I've got numbers of places where two or three trails come together. And anyway, I put up two stands. Hootie came out the first first evening, and about uh, his his dad stayed over across the farm with uh, John, uh, waiting to pick take Cody back home. He couldn't drive yet, so. We're sitting there, and right before dusk, we had probably another half an hour shooting light and legal shooting time, uh, three does came down the hill, and one was a pretty good-sized doe, an older doe, and I said, uh, I'd, where these trails merged, there was an old stump, and I, I sprinkled some deer scent on it. Mm. And they came down, and I saw them put their noses up, and I whispered to Cody, I said, uh, if they go over, just check that stump, and she turns broadside, you draw your bow and shoot. And so he he said, okay, and came over, and I could hear him breathing harder and harder, you know, and I'm saying, oh, let, him, let him be calm. And she turned perfectly broadside, and I said, draw your bow. And he drew it, but boy, I mean, he struggled a little bit to get it back, but then he locked in, and he came down, and I mean, he was rock steady. And he shot, and I saw the arrow go right behind her shoulder, and she jumped and ran. The deer all ran in different directions, and I figured he took out both lungs. And I said, okay, we're going to sit here a little while. Then we're going to climb down, and we're going back over and tell your dad we're going to get some flashlights because it was starting to get toward dark. And I said, we come back, and we'll get your deer. And he was so excited, you know, kid first deer. We did, and I'll never forget. We, we drove. I drove him up the lane there, and his dad and John came out, and his dad said, "Well, did you see any?" And Cody said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "I shot one." And he said, "You did not." First day, you know, and all that. He just he didn't believe it. I, right. I, he looked at me, and I nodded. I said, "Yeah, I did." He made a great shot. So anyway, we went back and got, she hadn't gone 50 yards and Cody, so I helped him, showed her how to field dress and he got to dress. And this kid, I can say he's a good kid. And we hunted together for a number of years until he was a teenager and he, he'd learned to drive and I gave him the run of the farm. He could come out here and hunt at any time, but he wanted me to video him shooting a deer. Mm -hmm. and this was several years later and he drove out. I had had to run into town, and when I got back, his truck was in the driveway, and he, I knew he was already out in the stand, so I couldn't video him, but uh, I just decided not to go out and spoil his hunt. But I was sitting in the house, and it was still broad daylight. Sun hadn't gone down or anything, and all was bang, 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 bang on the back door, and I'm thinking, what the heck? And I went back, and there was Cody, and he said, I just shot a buck. And I said, well, great, let me get my... Uh, gear on and then we'll go track it and he said no 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 he said it walked about 20 yards and fell over dead it's laying out there <laughs> he was just grinning ear to ear we went out it was a nice nine point buck 
and a big bodied deer. He had got a lot of meat on it, but he had killed his first deer and his first buck here on the farm, and he still stops by. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He's married now and got uh, uh, hunting all over the country, and he still stops by. And he, he, again, he's one of these good kids that you it's a pleasure to know and to understand that uh, again not 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 everyone's uh, crazy and uh, doing doing wild things he's still the cody that i knew when he was a kid and uh, that's he, awesome he's just a, a special friend yeah it's you know it's really rewarding i think when you have a hand you know obviously you got to thank his parents too, of course, because they did most of it. But, yeah. you know, that you have like a little piece of somebody turning into somebody of what they are, you know. Exactly. And, and it's uh, it's always that, – that's one of the great things about hunting. I, I know I know a lot of people that I, that I started in hunting and that I got into bow hunting or whatever that now it's a uh-huh. part of them and it's like – you know, it's it's nice to know that you had a part of that. It's good to see the sport continue on, and and um, oh, wow. yeah, no, that's that's good, good heartfelt thing. You know, well, Mr. I want to appreciate you for coming on. I mean, I'd I'd love to meet you one of these days. You're uh, I've read many of your uh, articles over the years, and um, you know. You're a uh, you're well, guy. I hope it happens. Guy, I look up to you. Guy, I look up to for sure. So, you uh, you have a standing invitation. You're ever back in this part of the country, and you don't stop by. Give me a call and stop by. I'll be upset, but I'll take you out and show you the the farm, and uh, we can we can swap some hunting stories face to face. Sounds great. I appreciate you, and uh, have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. God bless and good hunting to you, John. Uh, thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.